Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman, and I'm here to help you into week 17. We're finally starting to get our days together. The calendar's starting to make a little bit of sense. Had games on Christmas Eve. Now it's time to turn the attention to New Year's Eve, which will be a loaded slate of big-time NFL matchups. We're going to take you through the whole thing. It actually starts the day before. Some Saturday night football for you this week. The Dallas Cowboys taking on the Detroit Lions at AT AT&T Stadium. Jimmy Johnson joining the Cowboys Ring of Honor. We're going to get to all of that with our friend, Fox Sports NFC North writer, Carmen Vitale. I'm going to talk about a big matchup in the NFC South. Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the New Orleans Saints with a chance to clinch the division on the line. Also, maybe you heard there's a huge matchup in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins tangling in Baltimore on Sunday. Like I said, it's a loaded week 17. What a way to ring in the new year. Who wants to do anything besides watch football anyway? But first, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's start the show with the slogan of the week, the slogan for Friday. What can Browns do for you? The Cleveland Browns. They can clinch a playoff spot. They beat the hell out of the New York Jets. 37 to 20. They clinch a playoff spot. Half of the playoff field now set with just two weeks left to play. Seven out of the 14 teams are set. Obviously, we don't know the matchups yet, but four teams in the NFC have punched their ticket and the Cleveland Browns become the third team in the AFC to clinch a playoff spot. I was halfway right about this game. I was I was almost close to knowing how this was going to go. If you listen to the preview episode, I really thought this was going to be a slog. December football in Cleveland, two tough defenses. And if you watch the second half of this, that's what happened. Just trading field goals, turnovers, messy football. But what I didn't know was that we were going to go supernova in the first half. The Browns and the Jets, I don't know what got into them before halftime, combined for 51 points in the first half of this game, 530 total yards before halftime, 70% of the yardage total in this game, and 51 out of the 57 points all happened before halftime. There were a couple pick sixes. There were touchdown drives galore. David Njoku had the game of his life. 113 yards in the first quarter alone, finishing with 134 on the day. Wild, wild stuff for the first half. And then it felt like both teams just kind of decided, all right, that's plenty. The Browns, we're going to take our 11-win season and move on and clinch a playoff spot. The Jets, we did enough. Trevor Simeon and and New York never really felt like they were threatening after halftime. And that's A-OK because we don't have to focus too much on what happened in the actual game. I wouldn't call it a memorable experience, but it is incredibly fun. The Cleveland Browns clinch a playoff spot, just their third 11-win season in the last 30 years. And they're also not done, technically. It's it's not a, a great chance, but the win gives the Browns at least a slight hope of winning the AFC North. Dolphins playing the Ravens this weekend. Big game between big teams. If Miami knocks off Baltimore, it sets up a very fun situation where the Browns could technically win the AFC North. They're technically, technically still alive for the AFC's number one overall seed. We'll get to that later because there's just not much else to say until we see some more games play out. But I thought Al Michaels 
at the end of the broadcast made such a solid point that the last time the Browns made the playoffs, it wasn't all that long ago. It was just 2020, but we were in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Stadiums were mostly empty. Mass gatherings weren't really a thing in the fall winter of 2020. Everything was a massive bummer in case you don't remember. Not exactly a great environment for ending a 20 year playoff drought, which is what the Browns did in 2020. Hadn't made the postseason since 02. They make it in 2020. They even win a playoff game. But it it felt, I don't want to say it felt hollow. I'm sure it was a big accomplishment for the team. But, you know, sports are so much about community. It's so much about city coming together and celebrating this thing that everyone can rally around. You didn't get to do that three, four years ago. Well, you can do it now. And by the looks of it, Cleveland and the Cleveland Browns fan base are going to enjoy this moment. Watching the end of the broadcast on Amazon TV, it looked like a hell of a party in downtown Cleveland. And, and that's just for tonight. That's before you even think about the way it got here. Cause this is the unlikeliest of unlikely stories. Cleveland Browns are the first team in NFL history to make the playoffs in a year that they needed to start four different quarterbacks. The most recent of those quarterbacks, obviously Joe Flacco, who was sitting on his couch right up until mid-November when the Browns finally said, enough is enough. We don't have Deshaun Watson. P.J. Walker's dealing with injuries. Dorian Thompson-Robinson's not cutting it. They called Joe Flacco. Ironically enough, he played three years for the New York Jets, Thursday night's opponent. They easily could have called him when Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles on the first night of the season. And in fact, Joe Flacco called them and said, hey, you know, we got some history together. We had some fun times. You want to run this thing back? And the Jets said, "Uh uh-uh, we're good. Now he's a Cleveland Brown and the rest is literally history. Flacco has piled up 1,600 passing yards, 13 touchdowns, and most importantly, four wins in the five weeks that he's been starting for the Cleveland Browns. I tweeted this out on Thursday night. This was his fourth 300-yard game of the season. He's got as many 300-yard games as guys that have been in the middle of the MVP conversation. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, Geno Smith. Like the, the elite of the elite, he's up there slinging the rock as well as anybody in the NFL right now. Browns are averaging 388 yards per game, 29 points per game since Joe Flacco stepped under center. Add that with the defense that's been feisty all year long. Miles Garrett looking like his usual terrifying self against that leaky Jets offensive line. It's a hell of a combination. And if if you want to look for things to nitpick, I guess you could mention Joe Flacco He did throw another interception on Thursday night. He did throw a pick six. Actually, he's got nine turnovers since he stepped in to the starting role. But add that to what he's doing on offense from a from a efficiency standpoint, not to mention the 13 touchdowns. I think it balances out. You start to look at the landscape. Like I said, we don't know the matchups yet, but the Cleveland Browns in all likelihood If they don't get the miracle they need to shoot up the standings into the one or two spot, they're very likely the number five seed in the AFC playoffs as we sit here today. It's a really good bet that when the playoffs get here in a couple weeks, their first round matchup would be against the four seed, the AFC South champion. That's what it's looking like right now. Three, eight and seven teams in the AFC South. 
That's a division the Browns have already gone 4-0 against this season. Just beat up on the Texans last week. They beat Jacksonville very recently. Wild game against Indianapolis early in the season, as well as just pounding Tennessee way, way back. Obviously, Tennessee won't be in the postseason, but three wins against all three of those AFC South teams that are fighting for the top spot in that division. The way this is all going, other than... I'll, I'll give you Baltimore. If you want to say Baltimore, there's not a whole lot of teams that I feel confident saying are definitively better than the Browns. And remember Cleveland beat Baltimore before Flacco even got here. And this whole train took off. So if you're a Browns fan, I, I feel like I've said this about a few teams, but the Browns are right up there at the top of the list of teams. I don't think you want to play. It's been an incredible story. If if you'd want to talk about Joe Flacco for comeback player of the year, perhaps I think he's going to have his work cut out for him in that category, having just gotten back, but I can't get enough of this story. I'm super, super pumped for, for Cleveland and its fans looking like this was going to be an incredibly frustrating season. And here we are now on cloud nine. Can't wait to see where it goes from here. Like I said, they're not they're not technically done. They might have a lot to play for in week 18, depending on what happens, which speaking of which, let's get to that. Let's get into the rest of these week 17 games, a loaded week 17 weekend coming up. Let's start it off. Let's start the previews where the weekend is going to start. That would be Saturday night in Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium. And what promises to be a party, and no, it's not just because the 10-win Dallas Cowboys are hosting the NFC North champion Detroit Lions is it's going to be a banger of a game. We'll get to it in a minute, but also a long awaited circumstance for people who pay attention to the Dallas Cowboys for people who pay attention to the pay attention to the NFL on Fox. That is because after a long and winding wait, Jimmy Johnson is going into the Cowboys ring of honor on Saturday night. We talked about this back in November when Jerry Jones announced it, he chose this game on purpose. Shouldn't need an introduction, but just in case he does, he's been our teammate, our colleague here at the NFL on Fox for 30 years, killing it on Sundays, giving you all your Fox football needs and knowledge. And on top of that, obviously, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame two years ago. He's won 80 regular season games, nine playoff games with two different franchises. But the reason for this season, the reason this is all happening, the head coach of the back-to-back Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys in 1992 and 1993 helped construct one of the most dominant dynasties in NFL history. And if if you live under a rock or if you don't pay close attention to the drama that's always swirling around the Dallas Cowboys, this one is particularly interesting. Johnson will be the 24th member of the Cowboys ring of honor. And I think it speaks to the success that he had in Dallas, that six of the other members were guys that he drafted, developed, brought into the team, coached on those nineties teams, won two super bowls with Johnson, won another one after he departed. And why did he depart? One of the most legendary controversies in the history of the NFL Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson famously at odds about who deserved the lion's share of the credit for their success. Jerry Jones was going to fire Jimmy Johnson for not giving him the proper respect. Johnson said, "Ah, I I quit first. And 
Here we are 30-something years later. I think the timing is interesting, too, because typically for a game like this, for a ceremony like this, you might try to choose a more forgiving opponent on the schedule. That's clearly not the Detroit Lions. The Lions were having a wonderful season when Jerry Jones picked this game as the date that Jimmy Johnson would be inducted, but he chose it for a very specific reason. That is because ESPN has the broadcast. It's the final, quote, Monday night football game, obviously happening on Saturday. Choosing that game because Troy Aikman will be calling it for ESPN, a Hall of Famer in his own right, the quarterback of Jimmy Johnson's 90s Cowboys team. Clearly a strong bond there. I think it's a testament to the relationships that Johnson built with those Cowboys teams, the success they had. I'm positive Troy won't be the only Cowboys legend in attendance on Saturday night. I have it on good authority. The ceremony is going to be televised at halftime. So if you are a Cowboy fan of a certain age, I'm sure you won't want to miss that. Really, if you're an NFL fan in general. And as a bonus, we get to see if this longstanding conspiracy theory is true. There are no shortage of people who think the Cowboys postseason woes over the last 30 years are due in part because Jerry Jones took his sweet time putting Jimmy into the ring of honor. Well, that ends on Saturday, just in time for the Cowboys' latest trips to the postseason. We'll see if putting Jimmy into the ring can do anything to buck that trend. Speaking of which, let's actually talk about the game. It's one of the best ones on the schedule in week 17. And who better to help me preview it? I, I, I happen to know a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm joined now by somebody who knows a lot about the Detroit Lions. That would be friend of the show. Carmen Vitale, Fox Sports NFC North writer, good enough to join me here in studio to talk some Lions Cowboys. Carm, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me again. All right. Of course, you have a standing invite to do the show. Ugh, love that. Whenever you want. Let's get into what I find to be the most interesting thing about this Detroit Lions team, other than that they are officially division champs. I mean, the it, first it's, time in 30 years. And the first time they've first ever time they've ever won the won NFC North. This division, yeah. Right. It was the NFC Central back when they won it. Yeah, they that's were, how long it's been. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had won the division. Yeah, they were early, they, more they, recently. They, they the were Detroit Lions. division rivals with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which tells you yeah. everything you need to know. Yeah. But so here on the show, I was saying for weeks that the Lions looked like a team that was limping to the finish line. Yeah, but that, that doesn't really look like the case anymore. They get Frank Rag now back at after center. One game after one, having meniscus surgery. Do you remember a couple of years ago when he broke his throat? throat? His literal throat and missed minimal time. The, the guy is a tank, like Frank the tank. Yeah, well, clearly, because since he came back, they've rushed for 328 yards in their last two games. They've only allowed three sacks in those two games. The whole offensive line is back healthy, and they're just mauling people up front. Yes. We know about the Cowboys' struggles up front defensively, so that's that's where I start when I look at this game is Trenches. how much of a difference might that make having that line available and, and how much of their success comes from having that unit healthy and, and ready to roll. I've talked a lot this season about how the Detroit Lions go as their offensive line goes. And I think that's true for most teams, but for this team in particular, given the fact that Jared Goff is a completely different quarterback when he's protected and when he's not, which means this offense can who which has limitless possibilities under offensive coordinator Ben Johnson can fully function only if the offensive line is healthy. Our friend Nate Tice 
came had a really good stat the other week on the athletic football show that when Frank Ragnow specifically is in the game for the Detroit Lions, they are second in EPA per play offensively. When he is not, they would be 27th. That is Football is a team sport. That's night and day. <laughs> this is the fighting Frank Ragnows, as far as I'm concerned. The Detroit Lions are the fighting Frank Ragnows. He deserves his flowers. He deserves everything for what he's been going through as far as all of his injuries. And the Detroit Lions have a wonderful offensive system that can beat you on the ground with, I think, the best running back tandem in the NFL. Or Jared Goff can go through the air if he's well-protected and hit Amon Ross St. Brown. or. Rookie tight end Sam Laporta, who has 101 targets this season. It's wild. They can they can beat you in so many different ways. I want to get to Jared Goff under pressure because I think he is one of those quarterbacks that how much pressure he faces says a lot about how he's going to play. But the running game, yeah, I'm going to go back to that. And look, I know if you're a Cowboy fan, the Cowboys played better against the run against Miami last week. They haven't been awful, but the memory of yeah. that 270 yard performance by the Buffalo Bills is still strong in my mind. And I know Jonathan Hankins, their best run stuffing D tackle is going to miss this game. They're undersized at linebacker. They love to bring their safeties up in the box, whether it's Donovan Wilson, Jaron curse and those guys, their linebackers are undersized. And in addition to just the fact that David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are great running backs, you also have all these offensive linemen that can get up to the second level. I'm just worried about the Cowboys run defense getting erased is, I mean, that does that feel pretty legitimate to you? Yes, that's where this game is going to be won and lost and why I think the lions almost match up with the Cowboys a little well or well even though they do so well at home. But here's the thing within the run scheme, because David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs are two very different running backs. They have multiplicity and all of this variety within that run scheme and a line that can block for whatever they want to do. You've got David Montgomery, who's more of that bowling ball north south runner who can also bounce to the outside. Don't get it twisted. But then you have Jameer Gibbs, who is unlocking his full potential in his first season in the NFL. They do a great job getting the ball to him on the outside, whether that's on a handoff, whether that's Jared Goff throwing to him and Jameer Gibbs coming out of the backfield. It is such a complex run scheme and it's so hard to defend. And the Dallas Cowboys have been perfectly average against the run this year. And that's not going to cut it against the Lions if they are allowed to get that going. And the way to get not the way to stop them is to get a lead on them. It's going to be up to Dak Prescott, I think to get out ahead because if the Lions have to play from behind, that screws pretty much everything up. Okay, let's jump there. We can go back to Jared Goff because that is interesting. One thing, I, I said the Lions are getting healthier and they are. They are. But not completely. No. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson ruled out of this game. He's still dealing with the pec injury that's cost him most of this season. Right. It's fun for the Lions that it looks like he'll be back for the, for the playoffs. Season, right. He's not going to be there Saturday night. We just saw Nick Mullins throw for 400 yards on these guys. I mean, it was a dicey ending With in Minnesota. Four picks. Okay. <laughs> Yardage matters, though. I mean, it was, if you can... it was the Randy Moss ratio for the Vikings this last game where they were just throwing the ball up and hoping Justin Jefferson was down there somewhere. And more often than not, he was. Okay. I hear you. Yeah. And four picks does matter. The Lions sealed that win with an interception. They sure did. But. To be able to move that ball, move the ball that consistently from a quarterback like Nick Mullins, who got benched, by the way, 
He did. How much should it concern you, as well as Dak Prescott has played this year, the heater that C.D. Lamb has been on? C.D. Lamb threatening to break Michael Irvin's receptions record in Cowboys history. Dak Prescott having one of the best seasons of his career. Is the Lions secondary equipped to hold Dak below three, 350 yards, or at the very least get some takeaways? Not in its current iteration. This has been a concern of mine this entire season is that the secondary doesn't have depth. The defense Lions defensive secondary just doesn't have depth with CJ Gardner Johnson going down. You got Emmanuel Mosley back for not even a game before he went out again by tearing his other ACL, just absolutely heartbreaking injury. And you have Cam Sutton on the outside, but you got Jerry Jacobs, who's now practicing fully again. But I mean, Jerry Jacobs is their third corner and they're having to start him. There was a stretch of time during the season where both your starting corners and both your starting safeties were playing all or nearly all of the defensive snaps. There was absolutely zero rotation. Now, I do think that even with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or CJ Gardner-Johnson out uh, of the lineup for that safety rotation, you still do have Brian Branch and Kirby Joseph. Those are your playmakers in the defensive secondary for the Detroit Lions. So attacking the middle of the field maybe isn't what you want to do. And I understand that CD Lamb, what, 56% of the time he's in the slot? Mm. But he has the flexibility to go outside. I'm going to be very interested to see if these Detroit, if the Dallas Cowboys rather end up attacking the edges a little bit more where they know that the Lions are even weaker and trying to move the ball down the field that way. It's really funny because I think the Cowboys are built to attack the middle of the field best. Like the two best things they've got going in the passing game are CD in the slot. And Jake Ferguson's had a sure. really phenomenal second season playing over the middle of the field as well. So I think that's what they do best. But if the Lions struggle that much on the outside, maybe you see the Cowboys adapt to, to play adapt that way a little, little bit, bit more. more. And yeah, I mean, Brian Branch, incredible in his rookie season, making those plays, being very aware and anticipatory of where the ball is going. Kirby Joseph has had stretches and streaks of being an absolute ball hawk, multiple interceptions and in multiple games in his young career. He's only in his second season. And I think that those aren't the guys you want to test when you're going to have so much more success on the outside. Let's talk about the great equalizer, which is pass rush. And there's two premier ones in this game. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it back to Micah Parsons and the Cowboys pass rush before I get to Aiden Hutchinson. It's easy to think Micah's Micah has a sack and a half in the last like month. It's easy to think that he's slowing down. If all you're doing is looking at box scores. No, I love this stat a lot. In the Cowboys' last two games, they have 30 pressures as a team. 15 of them have all been Micah Parsons. And that's with teams knowing that he's the guy that they've got to account for. So even dealing with all of that extra attention, he's still generating half of Dallas's pass rush on his own. Yeah. So what do the Lions do here? And I know, I mean, it's he's a hard guy to preview because he lines up everywhere. Right. But is there a place in the Lions front that maybe you would try to exploit? I mean, Taylor Decker is dealing with an injury right now. So the left left tackle, the left side of the line, I guess, is a little bit compromised. But this is this is a fortress. And this is the, the Lions built their offensive line to make sure that it was a brick wall that no one could get behind, knowing that who Jared Goff is as a quarterback. And so I don't know that there's really a place that jumps out at me to attack the Lions offensive line 
And it's my understanding that the Cowboys have struggled to actually get to the quarterback in sacks. What, they have three in the last four games? No, they're, they're not generating sacks. They're not generating sacks. Not recently. And so as long as Jared Goff isn't getting hit, he can deal with pressure. He cannot deal with getting hit. So you don't hit him. It's going to keep open a lot of these possibilities for Jared Goff on top of the fact he has a run game to kind of lean on to get him out of some of these sticky situations between David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs as well. So I don't know that I have a good answer for you there. I am a firm believer that the Detroit Lions offensive line can go up against anybody this year. And on top of that, well, maybe, maybe this will be the week this I'll, I'll shout this out for you Cowboy fans. Maybe this will be the week that Micah Parsons draws a holding flag think Ooh. it's up to like 38 quarters since he drew <laughs> since one. He drew. <laughs> so maybe in a home game on a Saturday night with the amount of attention that's being paid to it, Perhaps. Micah, Micah shouted it out on his Instagram. I'm not going to be surprised if, if he gets one, but we'll see now it's way less of a guessing game. When you talk about Aiden Hutchinson, Yeah, he plays on the left side. That's what he does. That's where he's played the majority of his snaps. 24 pressures over the last month. He's third in the league Mm -hmm. in pressures. He's only behind Micah and Nick Bosa. So again, like to people that would say, well, he's not getting a crazy amount of sacks. It's not, but third in the league in pressure speaks for itself. Now check this out. And this is, if I'm, if I'm offering you up a tidbit, so you sound smart when you're talking to your family about this, he's going to be going up against Terrence Steele. That's almost a certainty. Mm -hmm. Terrence Steele has allowed 14 pressures over the last month. Third most in pressures allowed in the NFL among offensive tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. Is that the type of matchup that can swing a game like this if if Aiden Pressure plays the way he has been over the last month or so? That's what can take the pressure off of this line secondary is if they're able to generate pressure up front and the way they generate pressure up front has been Aiden Hutchinson, especially when you consider that Ali McNeil is still out their defensive tackle who is eligible to come off IR next week, but he's been one of the more underrated guys. And the reason that Aiden Hutchinson has been able to still generate so much pressure is because Lee McNeil was commanding a lot of attention on that interior. John Kaminsky, as solid of a player as he is, is not instilling fear in opposing offenses. So you have to think that without Lee McNeil, all of the attention is going to be on Aiden Hutchinson and that matchup with him and Terrence Steele. Aiden can also kind of go inside. He stays on that left side, but he can go inside too. So I don't know if he tries to sneak in there between the left tackle and the left guard on the, on the Cowboys side of things. But uh, I have to imagine that he is public enemy number one in that Dallas Cowboys offensive line film room right now. I would guess. And it's a, it's a val- it's a good point you bring up too, is as good as things might look on the Detroit side of things, it's a question for Dallas, at least a little bit. Tyron Smith missed last week with an injury. Zach Martin. I think he's going to play Saturday night. Zach yeah. Martin. They're both going to play. It's just a matter of how healthy they are, right. how effective they are. And no one's healthy at this time of year well, anyway. That is the the biggest secret in the NFL. <laughs> I can't wait, man. The, the Cowboys are a damn near lock to score 30 points when they play at AT&T Stadium. I think they've won 15 in a row at home. Yeah. The Lions have cracked 30 in three out of their last four games. Cow- the Cowboys played Seattle in a game with no punts at AT&T a month ago. And I would imagine maybe we'll see a couple, but I would imagine this is going to be similarly high flying. Do you, you don't have to, do you feel like making a prediction? 
Uh, well, I was forced to, I was on the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny yesterday nice. and nice. I was kind of uh, co coerced into a pick and, and I, I stuck with the Cowboys because of their being at home. If this game was in Detroit, I, I think I would go with the Lions. Sure. And not that the Lions don't have anything to play for right now, but they've locked up to the division. They punched their ticket. They, they're playing for home field advantage in the playoffs. And I think that matters to them very much. It matters to the city of Detroit that they get to see their Lions in the playoffs and Dan Campbell knows that but at the same time that Cowboys have just been unstoppable at AT&T and I don't see that changing especially on Jimmy Johnson and honor ring of honor night I mean it is Jimmy night like I'm, I'm not gonna pick against them on Jimmy night yeah and the way that they've played at home home field advantage helps a pass rush maybe that'll help the Cowboys get things back on track in that regard I don't feel good about it though no, like I, I, I would pick the Lions to cover. If the Lions the spread is, what is the spread I think right now? I think it's five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah, I'm picking the Lions to cover that. Okay. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it'll be. Yeah. yeah, it's five and a half. I think it'll be a close game. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take the Cowboys by two or three. I'm not gonna be surprised if the Lions run the ball for like 180 yards or something like that and just grind this thing out. But I will very timidly take the Cowboys to win by <laughs> three or four points. Hopefully, it's an entertaining one. Carmen, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Happy holidays. Let's start things off in Tampa, where the Buccaneers are seeking to clinch a third straight NFC South title and the home playoff game that goes with it. It's fitting. They host their division rivals, the New Orleans Saints, on Sunday. Saints won the division Four years in a row prior to this Tampa winning streak. So you're talking about the two teams that have won the division for the better part of the last decade. Not quite a division title game. The Saints still need some help, even if they win this game against the Buccaneers. But the Bucs can clinch the division with just a win against the Saints. Really, any win in their last two would get the job done. But why not do it? against the Saints ASAP. Our guys, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, will be on the call at Raymond James Stadium. Joined now by Greg Olson to break down all things Saints-Bucks. All right, Greg, what I'm about to say might sound strange on the surface because Baker Mayfield has always been a really confident guy. But even by his standards, this last month or so, if you turn on the Buccaneers games, I mean, he he seems to be playing with even another level of confidence if that's possible some of the throws he's making some of the stuff he's trying what stands out to you about the the juice that he seems to be playing with here recently yeah I, I think you said it. I think confidence has really been pretty much at the foundation of him as a player all the way back to you know the time we remember watching him you know win the Heisman Trophy in college I think that's just kind of built into his DNA and I know his last couple of years have been a little, you know, up and down. And, and I think so much of it was placed on, you know, all right, Baker's done, Baker can't play. And I think, you know, everyone didn't do a great job diving into maybe the situations that he was asked to come in. And, you know, all the way back to, you know, following the playoff year in, in Cleveland and that subsequent season following, you know, kind of dealt with a million injuries and people thought he was done and people thought he was kind of flash for pan and they ran him out of town and obviously replaced him with Deshaun Watson. So you just look at every stop along the way the last couple of years and it was almost like people had given up on him. And then here you go into free agency. The, the question around the Bucks is, you know, are they going to be at the bottom of, you know, the NFC South? I don't think anyone in a million years thought that they were going to be, you know, a team contending to win the division. Um, and a big part of it was because who was going to replace Tom Brady, right? Who was going to be the quarterback and who was going to deal with some of the cap issues and roster turnover. And lo and behold, it's Baker Mayfield, not only just holding serve. I mean, Baker 
is the engine of that offense. And and especially this, these last couple of weeks, he's, he's been as big a reason behind their success as anybody on the team. I know it's, it's not for you and me to sign Baker to a new contract, but you look at the way that he's played here, kind of, you know, the Bucks taking a chance on him as a one-year guy. You think about some of the, the expenditures they had to deal with at the tail end of the Tom Brady era I mean, for a Buccaneers fan, to me, it it seems exciting to think about getting Baker signed to a new deal. Maybe you find a way to bring Mike Evans back. I mean, this seems like it could be the beginning of of something really fruitful here in Tampa. I think so. I I think, though, the, the question that always has to come with the one you just asked regarding the quarterback position is for how much, right? I think that True. what we're seeing right now in the NFL is – there's a lot of really good veteran quarterbacks. The problem is if you have one of those, traditionally speaking, maybe Joe Flacco aside, which is kind of an anomaly. But like <laughs> right now what we're seeing is there's really two paths forward in the NFL. It's find your young rookie quarterback and pay him on a rookie contract. Or you have to have a $50 million quarterback and it's Patrick Mahomes. And even they have a hard time necessarily always filling all the gaps left by that sizable contract and what it does to the rest of the roster they're able to build around you. And, Typically, the teams that kind of fall in that middle ground where they kind of overpay that next tier, they're kind of stuck in limbo. So I, I think the the magic question for Tampa is, yes, if you can sign Baker back at a at a at a, you know, again, modest in the quarterback world contract right. for, for a long time. Yes. Now you have Mike money for Mike Evans. Yes. Now you can continue to build that roster in free agency. Yes. You can continue to get out some of this cap you know, situation. So I think that's, that's the key, right? I mean, how, how much are you able to get, um, you know, Baker under contract for, because as far as his play, as far as what he's done and the spark he's brought to that organization and that offense. Yeah. It, it's clear. He, he, if they could go forward with him for the time being, I think that would be great as they find that next young up and comer primarily, you hope to get that through the draft. It reminds me a lot of uh, Jared Goff in Detroit where, for a couple of years, he he caught some hell for that contract. And then a couple of years go by and he's playing well in Detroit. And you're like, oh, yeah, Jared Goff at this number, you can win a lot of football games like that. Exactly right. I'm curious. One last thing about Baker is, look, I don't nobody. Nobody's going to confuse him with a with a running quarterback. But I, I think his mobility feels like it's been such a big part of his success this season, just being able to extend plays. What have you seen in that regard? Just his pocket presence, the way that he can kind of, you know, extend plays and, and make plays downfield because of that. Yeah. It seems like week in and week out, every single game that we cover the, the ability of the quarterback to extend the play, the ability, the ability of the quarterback to play off script. If you can't do that in the NFL nowadays, you better be really, really elite at all the other qualities because with the way these defenses are able to get after the quarterback with the priority that's placed on pressure and the ability of defensive line and blitz schemes and how much defensive coordinators understand the value of muddying up the pocket, getting the quarterback off his spot. If you can't play in that environment and you need a clean pocket and you need everything to be right around you at all time and be in re- it's very hard to play consistent quarterback in the NFL under those terms. And I think, you know, Baker's one of those guys where he is comfortable throwing, moving out of the pocket. He is comfortable fading away. He is comfortable with his feet. Maybe not, aren't necessarily always in the perfect spot. And you have to, if, if, if you, like I said, if you cannot play like that in the NFL, I mean, watch any Sunday, watch the amount of times a quarterback catches the ball, hits a five-step drop, takes a hitch and throws in between every one of those 
there's getting flushed, there's moving around the pocket, there's buying time, there's scramble drill. It's just the way of playing quarterback nowadays that you have to be able to buy time. You have to be able to protect your offensive linemen because defensive linemen are better than offensive linemen right now at this stage in the NFL. And a lot of teams struggle to pass protect and a lot of quarterbacks are asked to to bail them out. You're so right. It it's it's strange to say that, but you're totally right. Like, I mean, the offensive lines are just at a disadvantage right now at this level of football. All right. On, on the flip side of this thing, it's not a, certainly not a formality. The New Orleans Saints have plenty to play for. I want to start with their pass defense because all season long, that felt like something they could hang their hat on. And then in the most recent game, clearly not the case against the L.A. Rams. When you when when you have a, a down moment like that uh, for for an area of your team, that's been pretty good. I mean, what's what's the biggest key toward bouncing back quickly in a situation like this? Yeah, I think it's easy. You know, when you go back and watch that Rams game from from last week, it seemed like that game was like two years ago. Um, you know, you, you go back and you watch that, and and it was a really good performance. Obviously, Stafford's playing at a high level. I thought McVay's game plan was fantastic. I mean, they had guys running open, and they, I, th- I thought the scheme was really well done. I think where it all comes down to New Orleans, they have to figure out a way to get some. We just talked about being able to pressure the quarterback and being able to rush the passer. They just can't generate any production out of their front group. And that's really been the hallmark of that defense in New Orleans for years is they have a lot of good back end guys. They can play man coverage. Their linebackers, Demario Davis is one of the best in the league the last couple of years. Like they're fast, they're athletic, they're aggressive, play a lot of man coverage, get after you in the passing game. But it's all predicated on the ability to get after the quarterback. Cause now all of a sudden those four man, those four man rushes turn into five man pressures and six man pressures. Now all of a sudden what you want to do on the back end you take a guy or two out of the coverage and everything breaks down. They have to find a way to get after the quarterback. And whether that's sacks or just pressure or getting the ball out of his hand, when you're playing all that man coverage and the quarterback can hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, you're asking a lot. I don't care who your defensive backs are. I don't care how good a cover guys they are. You just can't play man coverage all day in the backyard like it's recess. So I think everything for them this week is they have to find a way to generate a pass rush ideally with just those front four. If they can do that and they can move Baker around and they can get the ball out of his hand, that's what the style of defense they want to be. But this year, we just have not seen a group that consistently is able to get after the passer. I've talked about the Saints offense a few times this year, and I'm curious what you make of it. Because like on paper, it seems like it all should be pretty good. And like the stats back it up. Like Derek Carr's thrown for a lot of yards. They've had some nice performances, but like if you actually watch it, it's just a very frustrating unit to describe, in my opinion. I mean, what what do you think leads to this not looking better in reality than it does on paper, basically? Well, I, I, you've had the, the conversation that we've had all, all week long in preparation. You know, if you watch them in cut-ups, right, there, there's kind of two ways that you can evaluate a team. If you just watch their cut-ups, you don't, the score doesn't matter, the game, it's just you're just watching individual plays just from an evaluation standpoint. You'd come away going, they're pretty good. They, you know, they do a lot of really good things. I like their scheme. You know, Park can make every throw, but they got some dudes on the outside who can really run. Chris Alave, Rashid Saheed, like they can run. And then all of a sudden you put on the flow, like the game flow of the tape. And you're just like, you can't put your finger on it. And 
I think something they've done to their credit the last couple of weeks, right? With Shahid and his speed and Chris Olave and their ability, but maybe it doesn't always match up with the protection. They're trying to get into some early down play action. They're trying to turn the back to the defense, take advantage of those heavy boxes that they face, flash fake to Kamara and hit it, right? Like they've got to be able to generate plays down the field that don't necessarily stress the offensive line and just stand in shotgun and just stand there and pat the ball all day. And I think they are. I think that's something that Derek Carr understands that they can do more of and and he's good at it. So I think that's going to be a big thing for them this week. But I think you're right. I think it's a very hard team to say, okay, here's what they need to do. Here's clearly where they're falling short. Because at times when they flash, they're really good. And then other times it's like, pulling teeth a little bit and just nothing seems to click. So they're going to need to be at their best this week because this Todd Bowles defense is going to challenge them um, in Tampa. And, you know, they, they got to come out ready to ready to go. Well, it's a division game with a lot on the line. So, I mean, my, my time watching the league tells me that that, that should lend itself uh, to a good game plan to an entertaining one. I hope it is, man. I hope you all have a happy new year on the call. I appreciate it, Greg. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Let's keep the good times rolling with the latest mega matchup in the AFC Sunday in the early window. The Baltimore Ravens hosting the Miami Dolphins. Both of these teams coming off of huge wins against NFC opponents, NFC teams that will be in the playoffs. Obviously, the Ravens getting the big, big headlines, that huge Christmas night win in San Francisco against the Niners. And their reward is another huge one, a game with more on the line, if that was possible. Because if the Ravens win this game, if they down the Dolphins, they don't just secure the AFC North. They don't just fend off the pesky Browns. They also secure the number one seed in the AFC. It would be their 13th win. Nobody else in the conference can match that, especially if they dispatch Miami. And that's that's the fun of this time of year. The Ravens injury report right now is a mile long. There's about 15 guys dealing with various other things. Nobody is healthy this time of year in the NFL, like we said. But if you just got through it, one more big win against a contender, you don't have to worry about week 18. There's nothing to play for. Guys can get some rest. And then you don't even have a game in the first round of the playoffs. The Ravens could have two weeks to strategize rest players, get ready for the divisional round of the postseason. Got to go balls to the wall in this one. You got to give everything you had. Similar thing can be said for the Miami Dolphins. They can't clinch the number one seed this week, but they can clinch their first AFC East title since 2008 with a win over Baltimore. It would end the Bills' reign of terror in that division. It would also take some of the pressure off in week 18. The Dolphins win. There's still something to play for next week. They'll still want to beat Buffalo in Miami to try to hold on to the number one seed in the AFC. But it would be a hell of a lot less stressful knowing you're playing for seeding rather than if the Dolphins lose this game, they turn around and play Buffalo potentially with the division on the line. If the Bills beat New England and the Dolphins lose to the Ravens, you're talking about a division championship game in the final week of the season. If you're the Dolphins, wouldn't you rather win this game, lock it all up, or at least lock the division up, and that way, even if you lose, ah, well, whatever, we're the two seed instead of the one. Not ideal, but we can certainly live with that more than we can live with letting the entire division slip. 
Two fantastic teams, obviously. The Dolphins got their biggest win of the season against the Cowboys last week. The Ravens smashed the Niners, who, depending on you ask, some people still view the 49ers as the best team in the league. I I do not. You beat a team on the road by 14 points. You're the reigning champ. The Ravens retain their top spot in overall DVOA this week. They do everything better than everyone. That's especially clear after they just beat their biggest challenger, the 49ers, the dolphins at fourth in overall DVOA, obviously the offense doing a lot of that heavy lifting, most explosive offense in the NFL, the highest scoring offense, but the defense really coming along over the last few weeks as they showed against Dallas, holding the Cowboys to just 20 points. This has all the makings of another really fun matchup. Although and I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out because everybody's dealing with something at this time of year, but this really feels like a game that's going to be decided by who guts through their injuries the best because both teams are really going through it right now. Both teams with 100 guys on the injury report. Jalen Waddell is a, is a huge question mark for this game. He injured his ankle against Dallas. He's not practicing as of this recording. He's wearing a walking boot on that ankle, walking around the Dolphins facility. Raheem Mostert gone, going to play, according to Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel, but also not practicing right now. I think that creates a very interesting situation for the Miami offense because this is just a team, maybe more than anybody in the NFL, they just do what they do well. The Dolphins don't really try to disguise what's going to happen here. They they get the ball to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Tyree Kill threatening for 2,000 yards. I don't really think that's in the cards anymore after a slow couple of weeks, but he's sitting on 1,600. Jalen Waddle has 1,000 yards on the season. Nobody else in the Dolphins' offense has more than 280 receiving yards. Durham Smythe has 285. No other receivers have 250. So it's interesting to see what the Dolphins will turn to if one of these guys can't suit up for the game. Is it Durham Smythe? Is it Cedric Wilson Jr.? Do you lean more on the running backs in the passing game? Both Mostert and Devon Achan have done it, not in a big volume kind of way. I don't think either one of them has more than 25, 28 receptions on the year who Mike McDaniel would turn to if he doesn't have that dynamic duo both available. I'm very interested to see that. Of course, Tyreek Hill is going to play despite dealing with an ankle injury himself. If you have him, you can figure the rest out. Like That's a great starting point if you're Miami. And I can't wait to see how a defense as phenomenal as Baltimore's under Mike McDonald figures it out, who they decide to focus on with their defensive game plan. Obviously, it all stems from Tyreek Hill, but who do you who do you put on him? What do you what do you do there? Brandon Stevens, one of their cornerbacks dealing with an ankle injury this week, he's not practicing right now. I told you the list is long. Do you put Marlon Humphrey on Tyreek Hill? He actually played some slot corner last week. Do you move him outside? If I had to guess, you just throw everybody over there. You blanket that side of the field, maybe double it up as best you can and try to focus as much attention as possible on Hill and let everybody else handle the rest. Again, there's not a proven bona fide number two if Jalen Waddle's not available. 
Kyle Hamilton, I think, is is a name to watch here. Had a phenomenal night against San Francisco, but he was dinged up himself. He is back to practice. So where they decide to use him, I think, will say a lot about what Baltimore thinks is the next biggest threat after Tyreek. Could use him as as a rover in the passing game. You could use him to bring pressure. My guess is Mike McDonald will use him to do a little bit of everything. I don't think the Dolphins will be ineffective. Tyree kills too good. Mike McDaniel's too good of a coach. The running game is solid, but this is a situation they haven't had to deal with much this season where we just have to find out a is a defense as good as Baltimore is capable of taking your fastball away at the very least limiting Tyree kill. And if they do, who do the dolphins turn to after that on the other side of this thing, The Ravens aren't without their own issues. I already mentioned Brandon Stevens and Kyle Hamilton are dealing with injuries. Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, the phenomenal linebackers, dealing with injuries, but they're going to play. The Ravens offense is not without issue itself. Rookie receiver Zay Flowers not practicing as of Thursday night. I also want to mention swing tackle Patrick McCary was diagnosed with a concussion on Christmas night. He's working his way back from that attending practice late in the week, but hasn't gotten involved in it. Now, maybe you're saying swing tackle. We're talking about the third tackle here. Is that really truly important in this matchup? I'm going to tell you yes, because it directly relates to my biggest matchup in this game. That would be on the Baltimore offensive line. Ravens left tackle. Ronnie Stanley played the game of his season on Monday night against the mighty San Francisco front against that pass rush. He posted a stat line of zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries, zero pressures, completely stonewalled the 49ers. And that's while dealing with a knee injury that has been bothering him all season long. It's cost him several games. It's cost him some very up and down performances. Stanley had allowed 14 pressures in his three previous starts prior to Monday, four sacks allowed on the season. It's not an understatement that him playing that way was a big, big boost to Baltimore's offensive line. So what's his reward for this wonderful game, a short week and playing Bradley Chubb Chubb lines up almost exclusively on the right side for Miami That's opposite left tackle. He has 11 sacks on the year. He has four and a half in his last two games. He beat up on the Cowboys last week. Tyron Smith sat out of that game. His backup, Chuma Adoga, was in a blender trying to deal with Bradley Chubb and the Dolphins pass rush. Chubb has 22 pressures in his last three games. Like I said, the Dolphins defense really heating up here over the last month or so. So which Ronnie Stanley do you get? Do you get... The guy that played that well on Monday, the guy that is worthy of the huge contract that he has when he's healthy, or do you deal with the injured version who's been up and down? Maybe you need Patrick McCary to come in and help him out. Will that be possible? Is McCary healthy enough to play in this game? Obviously, it's a great equalizer that Lamar Jackson is as athletic as he is. You saw it against the 49ers. Plenty Plenty of Baltimore's success was just about Lamar evading pressure, extending plays. He can obviously do it. 
but how much pressure Vic Fangio wants to bring for Miami, how easily the Ravens let that through and how those injuries affect it. It's all part of the chess match. They need another big game from Ronnie Stanley. Even as good as Lamar Jackson is, he's going to be limited if Bradley Chubb is bearing down on him the way he was doing to Dak Prescott a week ago. Ravens are at home. I think the Ravens are the better team. I think this will be a really entertaining game. It's not in prime time, so I'm positive it's going to be a banger. I'll take the Ravens to win and lock up the AFC's number one overall seed a week ahead of time. Although that's not a knock on the Miami Dolphins, who I think are poised to make some noise in the postseason, even if they don't get it done here. That does it for the big previews heading into week 17, but never fear. We're going to get to every matchup on the schedule. 12 more games in week 17, all of them on Sunday. Monday night football is on a Saturday now. There's no Monday night game because next week is the last before the playoffs. So it's going to be a busy Sunday. We've got you covered on all 12 of the remaining games very quickly, very efficiently. Going to get you a tidbit on all the games we didn't get to at the top of the show. We call this the hurry up offense. My wonderful producers are going to put three and a half minutes on the clock and we are going to take you through a very busy New Year's Eve in the NFL. Let's get to it. Starting with the New England Patriots at the Buffalo Bills. Patriots have already won this matchup once, so anything's possible. They've been playing decent football since they made the switch to Bailey Zappi at quarterback. But the Bills managed to beat the Chargers last week despite being minus three in turnover differential. Yes, it was ugly against the Chargers, but they won a game in which they turned it over three times. I'm guessing they won't be that sloppy two weeks in a row. Certainly not at home. I think they win much more comfortably this time around. I'll take the Bills. Falcons at Bears. Doesn't feel like a coincidence that the Falcons got their best win of the season last week playing clean football. No turnovers with Taylor Heineke in the lineup. Bears defense has forced 14 takeaways in their last five games. Feels strange to say, but playing at home, I trust this version of the Bears more than I trust the very up and down Atlanta Falcons. I got Chicago Raiders at Colts. The Raiders win against the Chiefs was impressive. It came out of nowhere. They won at Arrowhead. Nobody expected it, but it glossed over a really brutal day from that offense. Remember, I said Aiden O'Connell didn't complete a pass after the first quarter. I assume the Raiders aren't going to score two defensive touchdowns two weeks in a row. Indy's at home. Indy's the better team. I got the Colts. Rams at Giants. Few, if any, quarterbacks are playing better than Matthew Stafford this year, but he has had his issues against the Blitz. His completion percentage and his yards per attempt both drop substantially against the Blitz. That is what the Giants do. Defensive coordinator Wink Martindale brings the heat. They blitz 44% of the time. That's second best in the NFL, only behind Minnesota. How Stafford performs there is going to decide this game. I'll take the Rams, but I won't be surprised if it's a little bit ugly. Cardinals at Eagles. I don't need to tell you the Eagles haven't been trustworthy. Vegas still sees them as an 11-point favorite. And the Eagles could be playing for the division. Depending on what happens Saturday night, the Birds could have a lot at stake here. I think they'll get it together for this one. They lean on the running game. They get a win here. 49ers at Commanders. Jacoby Brissett is a big improvement over what we've seen Sam Howell. But this is still the 49ers. Let's not overreact to what we saw against Baltimore. Trent Williams and Debo Samuel are practicing as of Thursday night. The Washington defense is allowing 35 points per game during this losing streak. Comfortable Niners win. Not worried about it. Panthers at Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence is back to practice. 
Jaguars defense is quietly the bigger issue, but having Trevor Lawrence available, I think will make the difference. I also think the Jags can get a couple takeaways in this game. Fourth time they hadn't forced a takeaway last week. I don't think they let that continue. They'll get the takeaways. They'll get the win. Titans at Texans. If you've been following at home, my advice is to beware Mike Vrabel, the underdog. It usually works out that way. They're five, six, and one this season as an underdog, but CJ Stroud is back. I bet you the Titans cover, but the Texans win Steelers at Seahawks. Great day for Mason Rudolph against Cincinnati last week, but I do think Seattle's secondary is a step up in difficulty. I don't trust the Steelers to get 30 points again. That's all it comes down to. I'll take Geno Smith and the Seahawks Rams at Broncos. Not sure I agree with this whole Russ situation, but I think Sean Payton's a good coach. I think Jared Stidham is capable of beating the Chargers at home. I think he will. Bengals at Chiefs. Chiefs, surely the Chiefs can find some success in the passing game against... There's the buzzer. I was really slow this week. That's okay. It's New Year's Eve. I've got something to aspire to, a faster to hurry up offense next week. Bengals at the Chiefs. Surely... The Chiefs offense can find some semblance of consistency. The Bengals are one of the worst defenses in the league in success rate over the last four or five weeks, allowing 260 passing yards, 26 points per game over the last month of the season. If the Chiefs can't get going some something going here, then we really need to revisit what they're capable of. But I do think at home, the Chiefs get this win. Packers at Vikings finishing it off for week 17. You might be tempted to write off the Vikings because Jaron Hall is getting the start, the rookie at quarterback. Don't discount the fact that the Green Bay Packers have allowed 367 yards to the Tommy DeVito Giants, not to mention 400 yards to the Carolina Panthers last week. I don't know that Jaron Hall starting is enough to make me believe in the Packers defense. Fortunately, I believe in Jordan Love. I think the Packers get the win on the road. I do think it's going to be really stressful, and I do think it's going to come down to the last minute. I went way over time. So what? It's New Year's. It's we're we're rounding into the last week of the season. I appreciate your patience. I appreciate you listening and your support all year long. We will be back in 2024. We'll be back after Sunday's games to recap everything that happened in week 17. Get you ready. For the last week of the regular season, I can't believe it's here already. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. Like I said, I truly appreciate it. Please go find us on Spotify if you haven't. We're on Apple Podcasts if you prefer that. Really, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. We have a YouTube channel. Feel free to subscribe to it wherever you get your NFL news, wherever you get your podcasts. That's where we're at. I will see y'all in 2024. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon.